Lord, I have trusted you with your faithful love. My heart will rejoice in your, in your deliverance. I will sing praise to you, Lord, for you have treated me generously. Psalms 13, 5 through 6.
guys can have a seat for a second. Uh, we're going to do something a little different than we normally do uh, during our gathering times today. Um, hopefully, maybe it's something that we'll continue to do in the future, but um, we've been going through some really, really heavy stuff. Um, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks and just the topics that our passages have brought us to, uh, sometimes they can be so weighty that we feel like we can't carry them on our own. And uh, sometimes it's nice just to have a place where you can say, I'm going to take this off my shoulders and put it at the foot of the cross. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to open up this area right here. Uh, if you're coming with a burden or you're coming with something that you want to release to the Lord, there's something about just being able to leave it there. You know, Jesus Christ said when he walked the earth as he was going through the temple, he was so disappointed at what was going on in the temple that he said, my, my father's house should be a house of prayer. And guys like me who are pastors go, where do we pray? Like, where am I inspiring this church to pray? Christ said it should be a house of prayer. And so we thought, because of the content we've been dealing with the last couple of weeks, the heavy nature of it, um, and even what we're heading into today in our passage, there's something about finding a place that is your place to pray. And then when God comes through for you, whether it's a way that you thought he was gonna come through or a different way, you come back to that same place and you praise him for it. I've often told the church that that was my spot right there. And there was a day where I took the burden and placed it on his, in his hands, off of my shoulders. And he met me right there. And today I'll come up not with tears of anguish, but smiles of joy to praise him for what he's done. So we'll have people coming forward who feel like they wanna leave something at the foot of the cross. We'll have people coming forward just to praise him for what he's done. Men, this is a good, plight, a good chance for you to lead your spouses in being the head of your family, coming before the Lord, for your family. Whatever it is, the plight that you're dealing with with your spouse, your work, career, bring it forward, pray together. Be great to see couples together here. Now I want to let you know that we're going to dim the lights so no one can see, no one will judge, no one will assume anything. Nobody did that for me. And we'll afford you the same ability to have your time with the Lord up here. And there's no expectation if you're new to us. Um, there's no expectation. If there's a spot, fill it in the next two songs. If there isn't a spot, then just wait till a person gets up and then you can take that spot. But we want to offer you an opportunity to say, you know, I'm going to leave this before the Lord. Do business with God and leave it with Him so that when I leave out these doors, I know that I'm not carrying it by myself any longer. Next two songs, join me as we come and pray before our God. Thank you, Jesus.
God, we come to you today to say that you are worthy. We come to you today to bow down and say you are worthy. You are faithful. We come to you today, Father God, to lay down our burden, Lord. Because when our hands are full of burden and when our hands are full of worry and doubt, when our hands are full of fear and loneliness, how do we lift our hands and praise you? Oh, Father God, would you touch every heart that they would be compelled, Lord, to come and lay those down at the foot of the cross and then lift their hands in freedom, lift their hands in wholeness. Lift their hands with joy. Lift their hands because they know you are faithful. I pray that we would lift our hands because we know that you are good, even in the darkness, even in our doubt, even in our fear and our depression, Lord. In the times that we don't know what you're doing, Father God, in the times that it feels like you are absent, Lord, would you reveal yourself today? Would you open every heart, Father God? Would you fill us with your spirit, Lord, that we would lift hands that we would lift voices and say you are good you are faithful you are loving Lord we praise you for your mercy that saved us we praise you for your grace that redeems us and gives us a promise for eternity Lord you are present you are holy you are mighty you save Father God we thank you and we lift you up because you are worthy and yet you come to us and you call us and you say, I want to be your friend. I want to be close. I'm your father. I want to care for you. I want to love you. I want to comfort you. Come to my arms. And you're our savior. What a gift you gave us, Lord. A gift that we just need to lift our hands and receive. You are so good. Hallelujah. We say hallelujah. To the name above all names, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the great and mighty God, Father, you are worthy. And so we praise and we worship and we give you everything, Lord. We come and we get on our knees and we lay our burdens down and then we trust that you will be faithful to meet us where we are. And we will give you glory, Lord, when you come through. We love you, Lord, that you are so close and you call us and you compel us. We have nothing in our hands that weigh us down. And you lift our head and we lift our hands and our voices and we say hallelujah. Worthy is our God, our friend, our father, our savior. I pray that we would come and love you and worship you, Lord.
Jesus' name.
morning. Welcome to Camarillo Community Church. Uh, let me explain my outfit today. Uh, I, I know there are people with different clubs and whatnot, but there's only one team left from California in the tournament. And so I figure we're all 49er fans, right? Because there's only one California team left. Check out these shoes for a second. Check these out. These are like, these are made, look at that, the Big Hurt. You know why? That, that I put, because Hurtado, so I, I you know, but we're going to put the Big Hurt on Texas today. And then check this out, look at that, look at that. That's what I'm talking about, baby. Thank you, cameraman. You rock. Uh, anyway, welcome to Camarillo Community Church. Uh, if you are a Dallas Cowboys fan, I must say you are welcome here too. Um, I'll also say that um, there's still time to catch the 11 o'clock service at Calvary Nexus and Crossroads, right? Actually, take that back. You're late, but it might be better. It really would um, if you just go. Uh, anyway, uh, I'm so glad that you are here with us, whether you're in the building, if you're in our uh, worship venue right now, out in the patio, in your living room right now, uh, you know, we're just excited that you're connecting with us and connecting with God's Word. That's really where we're headed, and we're going to get there really shortly. But one housekeeping item before we get there, and that is to say that we are having an active military luncheon. Mark your calendars, uh, February 4th, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m., active military luncheon. You and your family are invited, and your family, friends who are active military, who you're maybe trying to draw to our church, maybe a great event to invite them, uh, people who are looking for a church or you're just trying to win them for Jesus even, you can bring them. We want to honor active military. That's you reserve us as well. Please come 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. on February 4th. I don't know if you realize this, but we have a couple of military installations right around our corner. Uh, we oftentimes deal with families that come for about a three-year period, um, celebrate Christ with us, and then we send them off to another part in the country where they spend another three years. And what we would like to do is to foster community amongst our folks who are active military. So maybe you are a family and there's another family that you didn't even know was coming to our church that's also active military. They could understand what you're going through and give you community. We also have a couple speakers that we think will be a blessing to you. We're gonna have picnic lunch, jumpers for your kids, and you can RSVP online. That's much appreciated. But let me tell you something. If you don't get to the RSVP, still come. It just helps us to know how much food. But still come. Don't, last minute, I forgot to RSVP. Still come February 4th. Uh, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. We want to honor you guys who are active military. If you are retired military, we would love for you to come and serve those who are active military. So uh, please see Kenny and let him know that you're interested in that. Um, and please, please, if you know anybody, um, a part of our community who's in that realm, we want to really kind of gather together and encourage those folks because they're awesome. They keep us safe. They keep us free. And we appreciate you. With that, let me dive in. Uh, I'm going to share some stuff today that comes across a little bit more vulnerable than most pastors. And it might even be one of those things where like, oh, I really don't think of my pastor that way. And it's kind of hard for me to imagine him in those realms. And, 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 and all that to say that before I was married, I wasn't really a ladies' man. You know, I know it's hard to imagine. It's, it's hard. Uh, it's, a, it's a vulnerable, transparent, you know, piece there. I just wasn't good at that whole thing. You know, I, I married Meredith. And, but before all that, I wasn't a ladies' man. Like, I didn't get the whole, like, connection. And I send this signal. So I would definitely send out signals. And I think maybe even some signals were getting sent back to me. But I didn't understand the signals. Like, like I, I feel like there's, like, a, this, this decoder manual that you're supposed to get. And it's supposed to let you know this is the signal. That, that when you get this, this is a signal coming from them. And, and I just never got it. never read it. 
And so all that amounts to is I was a guy who lived in the friend zone. Like I swam in the deep end of the swimming pool called the friend zone. I, I would snorkel in it. I would scuba dive in that sucker. I mean, I was there all the time because and, and I, I couldn't catch on when there were signals coming. I'll give you a case in point. My, my wife and I, you know, 20 years ago when we kind of first met each other, uh, it was at the church at Rocky Peak. I was, remember I was serving on a team of about five different people who are serving in our middle school ministry. Just to give you an idea how large the middle school ministry was. And, uh, and I, I went into my office one day and I saw this bag sitting on my desk. It was, a, it, was a, it was like a paper sack lunch bag full of about 10 cookies. And, and Meredith was not into add water cookies. So this is like scratch cookies and they were really good, 10 of them in a bag. And then it was folded over and it had a little dolphin sticker that held the lip over. And if you know me, you know, my favorite animal is a dolphin. I, I love, you know, anything in the porpoise world. Uh, killer whales are just bigger dolphins. You know, if I didn't become a pastor, I'd probably be swimming with the orca somewhere. I mean, that's how much I love that animal, that species. And so she put a dolphin sticker on. I'm like, this is really good. And I'm eating. I'm like, be able to believe, like within 10 minutes, I've eaten nine of those uh, cookies. And then I was like, you know, we should be responsible here. And so we'll leave the last one until after lunch. You know what I mean? So, so I have the, the bag there and with one cookie in it. And then my coworker comes in, Jed. Jed Gover, still a great friend of mine, was involved in our wedding. We were texting even this morning, actually. And so great friend of mine, he comes in. He's working on the middle school staff with me. And he says, uh, um, hey, what's that? I go, oh, man, you got to try these cookies. That new girl, Meredith, she makes, she doesn't believe in the ad water stuff. This is like legit scratch. They're really good and they're soft in the middle. Really, really good. And he goes, Why? Big Dave, that was my nickname back then. Big Dave, she likes you, man. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's stop that train right now. I calm down, Jed. She doesn't like me. She's just honoring her staff, honoring the staff, you know. And he goes, okay, Big Dave, all right, all right. I don't have cookies. None of the other interns have cookies. And Dave Cox, the pastor of middle school ministries, he doesn't have cookies, but she's just trying to honor her staff. And I went, oh my gosh, you think she likes me? And he's like, yeah. And you better believe within like 15 minutes of that conversation, I called and I asked her out. <laughs> but if it wasn't for Jed coming in at that time, and if I would have aimed that cookie and throw that bag away, I would have ended up in the friend zone again, and I'd be your single pastor right now at Cameron Community Church, because I didn't receive, didn't get the decoder book on these signals that you're supposed to get and interpret. But as my friend would tutor me, if she's gonna come through for you with that signal, it's now your turn to follow up on your side of things. She comes through, gives that initial signal, you gotta follow through and ask her out. And I called her within 15 minutes, and within a year and a half we were married. And I mentioned that this morning. Because sometimes I wonder about our follow through with God. Like when he comes through for us, I mean, he's always coming through. How is our follow through? Where is our follow through? Let me give you a case in point. Like have you ever made a promise to God? Here's a God who comes through for you all the time. Have you ever made a promise to God and then maybe not follow through with that promise? Like what would he expect about the promises that we make to him, the commitments that we make towards him. Maybe make vows before God. Does he expect us to follow through with those things or is that just optional? He comes through for us all the time. What is the appropriate follow through from us to him? 
For that, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 1. I encourage you to turn your Bibles, or hopefully you brought a bound Bible with you. That's great, because you can circle, highlight, underline. Uh, Hopefully you have your phone that has a Bible. You can also highlight on your phone, add notes even, which is incredible. And if you're watching online, please open up another window with a Bible on it. Don't trust me for what I'm saying. I could be making this stuff up. Check it and cross-reference it with the Word of God. We'll be in 1 Samuel chapter 2. We'll be looking at, I'm sorry, chapter 1, looking at verses 21 through 28. And we're talking all about follow-through today. Everybody say follow-through. That's what we're talking about, follow-through today. And we're looking at 1 Samuel chapter 1, 21 through 28. The overarching question today will be on the screen. What does God expect from us as it relates to our promises or our vows to him? What does he expect of us when we make a promise or a vow or a commitment to him? What does he expect from us? And what we're going to see first is that, that we would he'd expect from us that we would tend to them wholeheartedly. Like if we're going to make, if nobody's making you make a promise to God, nobody's making you make a vow to God, nobody's making you make that commitment to God. But if you do make that promise, that vow, that commitment, then he expects us to tend to it wholeheartedly. Not to renege on it, but to really, really deeply answer the promise that we made. Let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 21 through 23 together so we can see this. Tend to them wholeheartedly. The man Elkanah and, and all his house went up to offer the Lord a yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. Everybody say vow. Circle that, highlight that, underline that. That's what we're talking about today. But Hannah did not go up for she said to her husband, as soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, uh, do what you see, what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. And so the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. We'll stop there. What promises or what, what, what does God expect from our promises and our vows to him? He expects us to tend to them wholeheartedly. Now, if you weren't here the last two weeks, let me brush you up on the story. Here's a lady named Hannah who has a difficulty. The Bible calls her barren. We might call that infertile. She has a problem with infertility. The problem is so grave that her husband ended up taking a second wife, polygamy, immoral, not in, in, in the view of the morality of God. And he had to do something immoral so they could have have children so they have somebody to take care of them when they're older and so that his namesake would continue on in the future. And so her difficulty has led to his immorality and she's in complete anguish over this whole thing. Uh, deep depression, deep despair. And so she goes to the temple and prays. The priest thinks she's drunk because she's praying so outlandishly. Her heart is on her sleeve. And, and he, she goes, no, I'm not drunk. I'm just dealing it with God. I'm, I'm having it out with God. Uh, many people this morning did that. So, you know, I'm going to deal with this with God. I'm going to have it out emotionally with God. doesn't mean I'm mad at him. doesn't mean maybe I am mad at him. But the point is, I'm going to deal with this in prayer and leave it before him and let him walk this with me rather than me being isolated from him in the midst of it. And that's what she does. And finally, she, uh, uh, the, the, the priest was so shocked at her devotion and prayer. He goes, God's going to give you what you want. And sure enough, she gets pregnant. She gets pregnant with a son that's named Samuel. Samuel's now born, but she made a promise in the midst of all that anguish. And her promise said this way, if you'll give me a child, I'll give him back to you. I vow to you that I will give that child back to you the, entire, the entirety of his life. 
Now, it's important to interject here that there seems to be a context in the Old Testament that's a little different than, than what we do today. And that is to say that, that vows were kind of a, a regular thing. I bet if I asked you when's the last time you made a vow to a God, you'd go, oh, I don't know. Besides that one time, I was like, if you get me out of this one, I'll go to church on Sunday. You know, you know I don't know that I made a lot of promises to God. I don't, I, don't, I don't do that on a regular occurrence. But in the Old Testament, they would. And, and, they, and they would be rather a, a regular thing. Uh, Hannah, we saw last week, made a Nazarite vow for her child, meaning that he was not going to have his head cut off. Or, I'm sorry. <laughs> hair. He would not have his hair cut off. <laughs> so, uh, and uh, he wouldn't drink anything from the vine, even eat a grape, and he would never touch a dead body for the entirety of his life. Now, that would cost you. You could do that for a month. You could do that for a year. You could, but she said, no, his whole entire life, he's yours. And then here we see Elkanah, even he, uh, even he's making a vow. It seems to be some kind of a financial vow. I'm going to the Lord to worship him, and this is vow that I need to fulfill. It wouldn't be unlike what we did around here in the last six months. Many of you said, I give, on, give to the Lord on a regular basis. That's my tithe to the Lord. And then we did the welcome project, and that would be like an offering on top of a tithe. In addition to what I give on a regular basis, I'm going to give this offering and he had some kind of vow before God that he would give an offering and he wanted to pay it. Because he was very, very intent on making sure that whatever promise he made before God, that he would actually fulfill it. Both he and his wife are congruent in that with each other. And again, in a culture that models this vow activity a lot more than we do, uh, you can see that they were very intent on making sure that they did everything possible to fulfill the vows, commitments, promises they made to God. Now, there should be nothing taken of a negative hint in the fact that she doesn't go. She's like, I'm not going to go with you this time. In fact, it's quite the opposite. It says that she's more than willing to fulfill her vow. In fact, she's looking forward to presenting Samuel and leaving him there once he's weaned. Let's go back to verse 22. We'll put it on the screen. Um, but Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, as soon as a child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there for what? Forever. That means I'm going to leave him there. I'm just going to make sure he's uh, of an appropriate age that he can function without me. But once he can function without me, we're going to go, I'm going to present, and he's going to stay there. So it's not that she's having second thoughts. It's that she's trying to be fully committed to doing everything she can uh, to tie the bow of the ribbon of her commitment to God and her vow. I'm going to make sure I do this right. Once it's done right, we will leave him there. Elkina blesses her decision as the Lord's will with an eye that he would be able to fulfill this vow with her. In the Old Testament, your wife could make a vow, but your husband had to validate the vow. He could negate the vow, but here he's obviously validating the vow, and they were going to do this together. Uh, do what you think seems fit to you. Only may the Lord establish his word. That would be like our common day, um, as the Lord wills. God willing, we will wean him, we will get him there, and we will fulfill this vow before the Lord. It's what he's saying to her. Here, we see Hannah is an example of her vow and promise, and, and, and we see her um, fulfilling that wholeheartedly. I'm not just going to begrudgingly do this. I'm making sure that every activity beforehand is done absolutely correct, because I have every intention to give back this child to God. And we're going to see more evidence of that along the way. Wholehearted devotion to what she promised to God. 
Now, I, I don't know, I, I think I mentioned a couple weeks ago that I, I, I did a wedding recently. I, I don't do a lot of those anymore, just because scheduling and whatnot, but this was kind of like a family person, so you can't really say no, you know what I mean? And, and I actually, I, I you know, love this family member, so it was easy to do, and I was, I was glad to do it. It fit my schedule perfectly, and so this is actually Meredith's brother, her younger brother, his name is Dane, he's 25 years old, and now married for about two or three weeks or so, and, and uh, uh, so lovely, met his wife at church, I highly recommend that, it's like the best place to meet. Uh, a partner for life. And, uh, but it's a unique story because Dane, about four years ago, met this girl at church and kind of falls head over heels for her and finally gets up the gumption to ask her out. And he goes and asks her out. And she's like, I like you a lot and I really want to go out with you. But, but I made this like commitment before God. I felt like he wanted me to take a dating fast. And he's like, gulp? <laughs> and she's like, yeah. And I think he wants me to fast from dating for a year. And he's like, that's torture. <laughs> I mean, like, I like you, you like me, but we can't hang out. We can't even see if this is going to work because you made a dating fast with God, <laughs> you, know, you know, type of thing. And, uh, and, and, he, and, and that, that, to his credit, he waited. They waited a year. They were just friends. They would stay together in groups and whatever. And then after a year, he's praying to God, doesn't like reveal to her that she needs to go a second year. Like, wow, man, even the family was teasing him. Like, dude, you know, maybe this is God's way of saying she ain't the one, <laughs> you know, type of thing. But he stuck it out. And here, four years later, I just did their wedding some three uh, weeks ago. And, um, and they're obviously very happy, you know, and, and it all worked out. But I know this is a popular thing amongst young adults, uh, uh, this whole dating fast thing, and it, sometimes it's probably not even coming from a bad place. Uh, you know, I'm so distracted with this dating, and does he, and does she, and when, and, and who, and where, all these things. I'm just going to take that off the table, and so I can just focus on myself and the Lord. And so take the distraction away, I'm just going to take a fast from this for a while. And so it actually can come from a great heart. Uh, but I know this is a big deal because I get asked about it often. Like when it's like, you know, you know, I made the fast with Jesus in November. It's now February, and I think I met him. He's Mr. Right. What do you think, Pastor? <laughs> Can I date him? But I made this commitment with God in November to wait a year. He's, it's February. It's funny how that happens, ironically. And now, you know, do I make him wait, or, or can I date him? And another guy said, you know, I met this girl, I asked her out, we're going out together, holding hands, and, and you know, and, and then she reveals to me that she's not supposed to be dating for a year. I even give her a kiss goodnight. I go, you're dating her. <laughs> that's what that's called. You know what I mean? And so, you know, and then, and then people come to me and say, Pastor, what do you think? What do you think? Let me save you the disappointment. Don't ask me that question. Don't ask me the question. Don't come to me and say, you know what? Do I need to keep the commitment? Do I need to help her honor her commitment to God? Do I help her honor her promise or her vow? Yes, yes. Uh, nobody made you make the commitment. Nobody made you make the vow. Nobody made you promise God that you wouldn't date for a year. Now you need to fulfill it. And if it's God's will, he'll still be, still be there, uh, or she'll still be there after the 12 months or whatever are over. You might consider not doing the dating fast, and then you won't have this problem. <laughs> but if God's called you to it, do it. I'm not going to get in the way of that. And so uh, let me just tell you, before you come to me and answer me that question, before you leave very, very disappointed, for reals, I've had a lot of good friends who've left that conversation very, very disappointed. I'm just warning you. When we make a commitment before God, a promise, a vow, whatever you want to call it, we are called to honor it and honor it wholeheartedly. But not only wholeheartedly, completely as well. From start to finish, completely. What does God expect from us as it relates to our promises and our vows to him? Well, that we would 
tend to our promises, our commitments, our vows wholeheartedly, and that we would also do so to completion, all the way to completion, that we would tend to them completely. I want you to see this in verses 24 to 28. Let's read together. It says this. And when she had weaned him, now he's weaned, she took him up with her along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. And then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli, who was the priest at the time that she made the commitment, and he was presiding over the temple. Interestingly enough, she brought two things, a bull, a sacrifice of a bull, and a sacrifice of a child. Verse 28, she said, O my Lord, speaking to the priest, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord as long as he lives. He is lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. The he there is probably referring to either Eli, the priest, who is shocked at maybe the fulfillment of this vow that she's actually going through with it, and so he decides to worship God, or probably more so uh, her husband, who is the head of the house, who's presiding over this vow and making sure that they together go do this, and maybe he worshiped the Lord that they fulfilled the vow together. What does God expect from us as it relates to our the promises or the vows that we've made to him. Well, he expects us to tend to them completely, all the way to completion. And so they bring a sacrifice and they bring a child. First, let's look at the sacrifice. Now, this is interesting. Um, they brought a bull, some flour, and some wine. And uh, as I said before, the, the, the um, regularity of vows in the Old Testament is much different than we would experience today. So there was this was happening. This occurrence was happening all the time. So much so that if you want to take some notes on this, if you're in a growth group, you might see a question about this. But in Numbers 15 verses 8 through 12, there's actually a delineation of how to go to God and say, "I'm done with my vow." And the way you would be done with your vow is you would come with a bowl, some wine, and some flour. And that was your way of saying, God, I made this vow before you, and I've completed this vow before you, and now we're doing the appropriate uh, um, ceremonial uh, requirements to, to have that vow completed. And so that's what they're doing. They're coming, and they're bringing the items that you bring when you fulfill a vow. So you can see they're taking this vow all the way to completion. They're not, they're not having second thoughts about it. They're, no, quite the opposite. We're going to do exactly what we promised God we we're going to do. And so they brought these items to uh, the priests to fulfill their vow. Now, here's the interesting piece. There is actually quite a bit of debate as to was it a three-year-old bull or was it three bulls? Uh, raise your hand if you have in your Bible right now a three-year-old bull. Anybody? Okay, good. Does anybody have three bulls? Yeah, somebody has different three bulls. So there's actually quite a bit of debate over the centuries. Is it a three-year-old bull or is it three bulls? Now, I'll just tell you that in Hebrew, it's, it's, a, it's a, you know, a language that sometimes words can have multiple meanings and you use the context to figure out which one it is. I'll give you a for instance. The word to bless and the word to curse are the same word. 
And so you use the context to figure out, is it blessed or is it cursed? You see what I'm doing there? And so here you have, in a similar situation, it could be rendered a three-year-old bull, which would be beautiful because how ironic is that? It takes about, in the Old Testament, three years to wean a child. We're bringing a three-year-old healthy bull that we're going to sacrifice, and that mirrors the three-year-old child that we're leaving here as well. And that'd be a beautiful picture of what's going on in that sacrifice. At the same time, it could be three bulls. So which one is it? Well, we use the context to figure that out. Here's the interesting thing. When we go to the, uh, the, the flour and the wine, she seems to be offering three times as much flour than you would normally offer for this type of um, ceremonial um, um, uh, rendering of your vow being completed. She seems to be offering three times as much flour, three times as much wine. And then we have this discussion, is it one bowl or is it three bowls? I would contend to you, it seems like she's tripling up on that, on, that, on that sacrifice. She's saying, I'm gonna give you three times the amount of flour, three times the amount of wine, and three times the amount of bulls. And so the question is, if I'm right, why would she do this? And I would contend, and I would tell you, the reason I think she's doing it is because she's emphatically saying, I am joyfully fulfilling this commitment before God. I made this vow before him. I made this promise before him. And not, not only am I not thinking twice about it, I'm elated that I'll give you three times the offering. Because I'm so thankful that God allowed me to have a child. He came through for me. I'm going to come through on my end. And so they bring the child. This will really blow your mind here. They bring the child as well after the bull, the sacrifice. It says the vow has been completed. And uh, in Old Testament Jewish law, it was delineated that each first male-born child was, uh, um, was, was kind of set apart for God. And what you're gonna do is you're gonna take every male child and he's gonna be my priest and we're gonna, that's how we're gonna run the temple is every firstborn male child is mine. But along the way, God made a deal with Israel and says, but you know what, here's what we'll do. You give me uh, the tribe of Levi, one out of 12, right? You give me the tri tribe of Levi and I will allow you to keep your firstborn child. And they made this arrangement, great. We will give so the tribe of Levi is never needing food or always having money. They'll be the priests, okay? So that arrangement happens, but you still had to redeem your child. And so in remembrance of that commitment, you had to bring your child, who was your firstborn male, and you had to give like five shekels to the priest, to the temple, and then you were able to redeem back your child. This is your child, but I'm going to redeem him back because of the arrangement we made that you had the tribe of Levi. So every person, every, every family ever had a, a, a male-born son did this, all right? Here's the interesting thing. Guess what's the one piece they don't do? They don't bring the five shekels to redeem the child. They do all, they do three times what is appropriate to fulfill the vow, but they don't bring the shekels to redeem the child. Can anybody answer why? Because they're not redeeming him. They're leaving him there. We don't need to redeem the child because we don't want him back. Not that we don't want him back. We, we've given him over to you for, for your service. Again, more evidence that they were together on this vow before God and they were serious about bringing it to completion. And finally, there's this beautiful interaction between um, uh, Hannah and the priest. And I want you to see this. Let's, go, let's put this back on the screen in verse 26. It says this, and she said, O my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. 
Verse 28, therefore I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And he worshiped, all of them worshiped the Lord right there for the completion of the vow. There's some principles here that I want to highlight that I think could cross over into our lives if we let them. And that is to say when we're in spiritual anguish, spiritual dis- despair, spiritual depression, you know, where you're feeling like a spiritual weight to whatever you're dealing with, that you could come to God, pray fervently. This is why we open it up and nobody's going to judge you. Just deal with God with it. Go, go to him with it. You could pray fervently. And then when he answers the prayer, what does she do? She comes back to the same place and they worship God. Prayed to God fervently. I had a spot where I prayed to God fervently. He came through for me, and I came back to that spot, and I offered worship and praise to him. Oftentimes, I'll have, like, every once in a while, I'll meet with somebody in my office, and we're counseling or we're talking, and there's some difficulty going on, and I'll say, you remember this day because we will pray in this exact spot. I'll sit in this chair, and you sit on that couch, and we will give God glory when he comes through. To have that confidence to say, I know our God is bigger than this situation, and I'm going to keep on going. Like the lady with the unjust judge, I'm gonna keep on knocking, I'm still here, I'm knocking, I'm still, I'm here again, here I am again. If the unjust judge will settle that thing because he's annoyed, how much more will a God who loves you? To have that spot, and that's why I often tell you, that's my spot right there, and that's where he met me, and I had nowhere to go, and I felt like the bottom was falling out of life, and God met me right there, and my miracle was a woman who sang on stage today and did a power prayer in two, two gathering times together. There's something about having that spot where you pray and you allow God to meet you there. Let him do the miraculous, and then you come back and praise him for what he's done. Now, it might not happen the way you thought it was going to happen, and you had this plan and that plan. He comes through, and you praise him for how he came through. You thank him for that. Don't just run to the next issue. Remember to take some time. Pray it out. Praise it out with God when he comes through. Well, Kaina affirms his wife's vow as the head of the household. They worship the Lord together in that vow. They complete their vow to the Lord, which brings us to a place where we can consider a big idea for this passage, which, which would be on the screen. It says this, when God comes through on his end, we should follow through on ours. When God comes through on his end, we should follow through. God is always coming through on his end. Our job is to follow through on ours. Like he initiates the coming through for us, we should follow through in response and reaction to him coming through for us. That could be as simple as coming back after he's answered your prayers and offering thanks and praise. Don't just run off to the next challenge. Praise him for what he's done. That was my morning. Just thank you. Remember where I was. I'm not there. I came with tears. They're, they're showering the stage. And today I come with smiles. Thank you. And now I have other things I'm praying over. I got four kids who are asking the Lord to as we get through these young adult years and teenage, all these things, I'm submitting all these requests to the Lord at the same time, and we just do this cycle over and over again where we invite God into our lives and we praise him for when he comes through. When God comes through on our end, we should follow through. On his end, we should follow through on ours. This may be uh, taking your commitments to God seriously, fulfilling them wholeheartedly and completely. This could simply be after years of praying for your child's salvation, and then they do get saved, and they have this Crazy harebrained idea that they want to be a pastor or be a missionary in another country. Can you support them wholeheartedly in that and completely? God came through for you, 
and, and answering the prayer of their salvation, can you support them? Or is it like, you know what, you're wanting to go to places where they, you know, they can take you out over there. Why don't you become a lawyer and just pay for people to go over there? That's better. Is it that sort of thing? Or when God comes through, are you willing to follow through and say, this child's yours? And we will completely support wholeheartedly his desire to follow you and your call in his life or her life. Think of this, deep thought for a second. Prepare yourselves, think deep thought. Had God not limited Hannah's childbearing abilities, would she ever have given up her child to his service? Had God not limited Hannah's childbearing abilities, would she have ever given up her child to his service? Deep thought. The God who knows all situations, all sequences and consequences of every decision, how every domino falls, sometimes he knows exactly why he's letting you go through what you're going through. Because he's got a redemptive purpose at the end of that thing. And it's worth your pain right now. That's not fun, but I'm just telling you the truth. God knows all the story when we're just living in the middle of the story. Well, let's talk about how the rubber meets the road on some of this. How do we approach our commitments to God? I would venture to say that most of us in here go, I don't even remember the last time I made a commitment to God. I don't remember the last time I made a vow before God. I don't, remember, I don't do this on a regular basis, so this doesn't seem to apply to me that well. I, I want to try to apply it for you. And, and I would say there's a difference between like optional vows and fulfilled promises or fulfilled commitments. Optional vows and, and kind of fulfilled commitments. And I want to show you the difference between the two. Uh, we'll start with optional vow. Once upon a time, there was a wealthy oil tycoon who laid his head on his deathbed. His pastor talked to him about God's healing power. And pastor, he gasped. If God heals me, I'll give the church a million dollars. Miraculously, the man revived and within a few short weeks was out of the hospital. One day, several months later, he and the pastor chatted on the sidewalk in front of the hardware store. You know, the pastor said, when you were in your hospital dying, you promised to give the church a million dollars if you got well. We haven't got it yet. Tycoon asked, did I say that? I guess, I, guess, I guess that goes to show how sick I really was. Now, I hope that when we approach our commitment to God, that it's not like that. But I hope that when we approach our commitments and our vows and our promises to God, there'd be something a little different. Something like this. Booker T. Washington describes meeting an ex-slave from Virginia in his book, Up From Slavery. I found that this man had made a contract with his master two or three years previous to the Emancipation Proclamation, which would free all slaves. To the effect that the slave was permitted to buy himself by, pay, by paying uh, so much per year for his body. And while he was paying for himself, he was permitted to labor where, where and for whom he pleased. Finding that he can secure better wages in Ohio, he went there. When freedom came, he was still in debt to his master some $300. Notwithstanding the emancipation, that the Emancipation Proclamation freed him from any obligation to his masters, the black man walked the greater portion of the distance back to where his old master lived in Virginia, placed the last dollar with interest in his hands. And talking to me about this, the man told me that he knew he didn't have to pay, the, pay this debt back. But he had given this word to his master, and his word he had never broken. He felt that he could not enjoy his freedom 
until he fulfilled his promise. He had given his word to his master and his word, commitment, his vow, his promise was so compelling they would even repay his master after the Emancipation Proclamation freed him. Can I ask you a question? Do you have the same kind of commitment to God with your promises? Like we know the answer should be yes on that one, right? That's the right answer. But if, what if we were to look at what for many of us may be the only time we could actually remember making a promise to God? And that in our lives, there's one time where all of us can say, yep, that was a promise, a commitment, and a vow to God. You know what that is? How about your marriage, marriage covenant? How about your marriage commitment? What if we were to look at our marriage commitments and promises and vows that we made to God? And then what if we were to turn and look at the rate of no-fault divorce in evangelical Christianity in America? That's us. And what if we were to acknowledge that, that this, in, in the secular world, they, have, they mirror the same kind of commitment to their marriages that we do as Christians? You do realize that's a vow before God, right? Like, I won't do a wedding unless there's vows. It's a commitment and a promise to God. And sure, we can poke fun at singles for the silliness of making commitments to God yet not following through with them but then isn't that what we do is our word commitment promise and vow to God so compelling that we'd be willing to be long suffering in a marriage because of it you know this idea that we've fallen out of love with each other and really the most loving thing we can do is to set them free so they can find somebody who truly loves them. That's the most loving thing you could do. That's a crock. The most loving thing you could do would be to fulfill your commitment to each other and to God. That's the most loving thing to do. No fault divorce is a societal thing. It's not a God thing. And I always put a caveat in here because there are some abuses that cannot be okay in a marriage and separation may be what's in view or in need there. And there are biblical out clauses to divorce. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about no-fault divorce. And there are people, hey, I've been there and done that, Pastor. What do I do now? Great. From this point forward, boom. Here. From this point forward. No more. My commitments to God are honored. God comes through on his end. We should follow through on ours whether it be commitment to our marriages, whether it be when he answers prayer and we come back and praise him, whether it be in silly things like dating fasts. Our words should matter. If you're like me, you're as challenged by that as anybody else in the room. Why don't you bow your head and close your eyes. Let's pray together. Father, the commitment that we see in Hannah and Elkanah is amazing. And the beautiful thing in that story is it, it begins with immorality. <laughs> they didn't handle their stress in the appropriate way at first. Polygamy. And yet they still have a redemption story. They come back, they prayed out with you, you forgive them, and you even still bless them. And then they come back and say, I'm going to fulfill this vow before you. 
Father, I'm asking that you would meet us right there at the despair level, at the bottom, when we feel like we're under spiritual attack, you meet us there. And that if you will come through for us, that you would give us the gumption to come through for you. That we'd come back and honor you with our worship and our thanksgiving that you went through with us. Or that we would honor our commitments and vows that we make to you. In our culture and day to day, it's probably only one besides our commitment to follow you, to follow Christ. And that's in our marriages. Would you help us double down on that commitment? We ask you in Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Thank you, Pastor David, for the challenging message. Um, I have a guest with us today. This is Patty Neednoggle. She's one of the missionaries we support through our general fund budget here at Camarillo Community Church. We're going to interview her in a second. Um, she is, in a week, going to be going to India uh, to serve with James and Minnie, who are the, the same people David mentioned last week that we're raising money for to purchase land and um, build a church building for. So, um, unique opportunity to have Patty here with us today. Patty, could you tell us a little bit about your ministry? Absolutely. Good morning. It's so good to be with you. Well, I have the privilege of working with marginalized women around the world. And what do I mean by that? Those who have been um, abused, cast out by their culture, and made to feel that they have no value at all. And it is my privilege um, when I work with leaders over there and they have hand-chosen women to come to the co conferences, then um, it is my privilege to show them that they are valued by the living God. And you see a transformation, a miraculous one immediately. And then they are able to um, take the other teaching and so that they can go out and help others and, and um, just basically follow 2 Timothy 2.2, where Paul instructs us of how to transform and change other lives and disciple them. Awesome. How long have you known James and Minnie? <laughs> I've known James and Minnie since about 2007. Um, my husband, Roland, worked with James to become a pastor, and then I had the privilege of working with Minnie through the years. In fact, I'm still on Zoom with her every week, and um, I've I just, I feel it is such an honor to be able to work with her with the work that she is doing and for her, to have her take the teachings that I have given her and, and transform other lives. Awesome, awesome. And um, how can we as a church support yeah. you and your ministry? Mm -hmm. Well, of course, prayer. That, they, prayer gives me wings to fly. And then, of course, in anything I do, there is a cost. But I feel it's an investment in eternity. Um, it, I'll be doing three conferences. I leave a week from tomorrow. I'll be doing um, them in the state of Rajasthan, which is supposed to be quite safe for me to go at this time. And one uh, conference is in the city of Udaper, which is where James and Minnie and their daughter Aksa will join me, and then the other two in Jaipur. And um, when you put all the, the expenses together that it will take to put on the conferences and everything involved, it's about 148 per woman, multiply that by 75. Um, it's an, quite a large amount, and yet I feel it's an investment in lives for eternity. Awesome. So um, if you want to learn more about Patty's ministry, there's a couple of ways. She's going to have a table um, outside after the service, and you can go um, learn and talk to her there. Uh, she's also, we're hosting a luncheon. The, the Sunday school class is hosting a luncheon directly after the service as well in the other building. And you get a lunch and hear about um, what she's doing there. Now we also, um, because we're raising money to build the church and buy some land in India with James 
in many, we put a card together, and she's going to, uh, on your way out, I'd encourage you before you leave to stop by her table and sign the card. Just put your name on it, maybe a little message that you're praying for them. Um, and when she goes to India next week, she's going to take that with her to give to them, just so we can send not just our support, but our love and that we're with them and what they're doing. All right? So we're going to receive our offering now. That's one of the ways we honor and worship God. Um, and you can three ways to participate. Go to campcc.net. You can click give. If you wanted to give towards the church building and land in India, if, in the drop-down menu online, just choose Mission Fund, and it would go to that. You can text the amount you'd like to donate to 84321, or there's an offering box in the lobby. Um, before we go, I want to pray for Patty. Uh, Lord, thank you for Patty and her ministry in India. Would you just pave the way for her as she's about to leave uh, next week, Lord, and keep her safe, give her strength for this journey, really use her and work through her to make a huge impact for your kingdom in the lives of the women she'll be ministering to. Uh, Lord, would you bless her? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, check out this video. Cam CC, how you doing? Robin Frazier here and I serve happily on our hospitality team. Let me just tell you, I am so glad you're here. If this is your first, second, or third time guest, we have some gifts for you. Mark your connection card, or if you're watching online, go to camcc.net slash next steps. We have some great stuff coming up here at CamCC. The week of January 22nd, Growth Groups. If you have not tried out Growth Group, you gotta try it. It's a great way to connect and build relationships while studying God's Word. It's only eight weeks, and childcare is available. Sign up at camcc.net slash growthgroups. Chat with Pastor Jim on the patio or shoot him an email, Moyer at camcc.net. We also have two classes kicking off that same week. Tuesdays, Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. Learn great financial principles that are applicable to your current financial situation. You can be on the road of getting out of debt. It's nine weeks and taught by two CPAs, the Lawbachers. The second is on Wednesday nights, Pathway, a six-week journey in discovering how to grow in your faith and getting connected to CAMCC. This is a great way to meet all the pastors and directors and have fun meeting new people. To sign up for either of these classes, go to camcc.net slash growthgroups or email jimmoyer at camcc.net. If you are interested in automating your pledge to the Welcome Project, I can tell you how. Go to camcc.net and click Give. Click Donate or set up Recurring Giving. Choose the amount, choose the Welcome Project in the drop-down, then choose the frequency. Then you should be good to fill out the rest of the form. If you need help with any of this, contact Kenny at camcc.net and he would be more than happy to set you up. To stay in the loop of what's going on at CAMCC, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more info on any of these events, you can go to camcc.net. My name is Sam Stevenson, and I'm the K-3 director here. Um, just today's message, um, the story of Hannah always just gets me in the gut as a mom. And I know as I leave here today, I want to spend some time just checking my heart for the commitments that I've made in my relationships as a mom, in my marriage, and just as a friend. If you're a first, second, or third time guest with us here today, would you stop
stop by the welcome counter in the lobby. We have some great gifts for you, and we'd love to know your name and how we can pray for you. It's a little chilly outside today, but I see the sun, and I know there are donuts and coffee out there, so I'll see you guys out there.